It's so good to be here. You know, I, I, ran into, I ran into Pastor Clarence earlier in the day. I walked into a Hampton Inn to get somebody to print something up for me, and there he sat. And what I said to him was this. I said, this is the only place in America I go where it feels exactly like home. And that's, a, that, that's really a compliment because I come from Louisiana, and there ain't no place like Louisiana. We uh, are so happy to be here. My wife, Dionza, is here with me, my lover and partner and friend and ministry uh, companion for, uh, shoot, 50, no, excuse me, 44 years. Stand up, baby. I'm going to need a little more juice on this as far as, I don't know if the monitors or whatever are here, because my voice is not really strong tonight. But uh, I, uh, I have a strong word, amen. And uh, God's been speaking to me about this time that we have together. I so appreciate everything that has happened so far in this service. How many of you thank God for these worshipers? And I thank God for our district pastor. Mark Dean is an amazing man, man of God, prophetic man of God, apostolic man of God with a vision for the world. And I um, so enjoyed hearing from our not interim president, but president um, at North Central. And I, I happen to know that he was a baseball player at Evangel University, where I was the football coach, and then he transferred to North Central. I just got asked, do you still take BP with the guys? Every once in a while. Well, that's great. I'm going to ask everybody to stand, please, all over this place. As I was praying and thinking about tonight, the thing that gripped my heart was the fact that this place was going to be filled with so many of you that at one time had a God-given dream. Something that you felt God had spoken to you about that was a driving force in your life. Something that exhilarated you. Something that called to you in the night. Something that awakened you in the morning. Something that got you through the great trials of life. A dream from God. But for some of you, that dream has been elusive. And I just want to start right now by asking you, how many of you at some time in your life have had a God-given dream that seemed impossible, but yet it was reality to you. Something you wanted to do for God. Something you felt God had placed His hand on you to accomplish in His kingdom. I want you to raise your hand all over this place right now. You know what that is, a God-given dream. Now you can put your hand down. This is a place of transformation. This building 
is the place where missionaries, pastors, evangelists are called. This is the place where entrepreneurs are born to finance the mission's vision of this district. Around these altars, dreams are nourished and nurtured. They expand and grow and take on a life of their own. I must ask, how many of you will lift your hand and say, Pastor Denny, the truth is, that dream has been elusive of late. That dream has not been as alive and as real to me in recent days as it has in the past. Now I want you to raise your hand because this is a place of transformation. Now here's what I want to tell you tonight. Tonight, you may not know why you have come exactly, but I know you have come to get your dream back. And God is going to do something at the end of this message. I'm not going to preach long. That is going to call some of you back to a dynamic place of world-changing effectiveness. Your world is never going to be the same after this evening. Now, Father, this is what I pray in Jesus' name. I pray that the Holy Spirit will grip us. I pray, Holy Ghost, that you will brood over this congregation and that the creative word that is spoken from the Father will bring life and form and substance. And I pray that we will never be the same as we recover our dream. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. I want to speak to you on the subject tonight of swimming the Amazon. Swimming the Amazon. You know, I think it, everyone probably in this place, whether you raise your hand or not, at some time in your life has had a dream. We, by our very nature, because we're created in the image of God, have dreams because we are the sons and daughters of the Creator. The definition of a dream I love most is this one. A cherished inspiration, ambition, or ideal. Now, actually that definition fits God. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 and 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. You see, this is what you need to understand. God has cherished ideals in His heart for each one of us to achieve. But the truth is, most of us are long removed from the dream of our hearts. See, I believe the world would look very, very different if the people of God could simply follow through with their God-given dreams. 
I believe that the answer for society, I believe the answer for our nation, for our states, our cities, our communities, our churches, our families, is all wrapped up in the ability of God's people to pursue and to keep pursuing a God-given dream. Yet, we have settled. We are, for the most part, satisfied. We haven't grieved over the death of the dream, for the dream didn't die at a certain time. There was no obit written for the dream. There was no memorial service for the dream. There was no coroner's pronouncement. The dream died gradually. It died over years, perhaps decades, and it more than likely succumbed to the common diseases that kill most dreams. The suffocation of our demanding routine schedules. The paralysis of the never-ceasing demands of people. The debilitation of repeated delays, disillusionment, and disappointment. You see, dreams are not optional or extra for God's people. They're standard issue for every one of us as believers. Jeremiah 29, 11, everyone here can probably quote it by heart. If you know it, say it right along with me. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. There is no doubt if God has plans for us, then we should certainly receive, embrace, nurture, and achieve them. Everybody should have a God-given dream. God desires to reveal to us the dreams of His heart. 1 Corinthians 2 and 9 says this, and it's one of my favorite go-to passages in all of the Bible. I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of a man what God has prepared for His people, but the Lord has revealed them to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So what is our excuse? Why have our lives become so mundane, so predictable, and so uneventful? Why are we coasting when we used to have a dream? Why are we just average when we used to reach so high? God's dream for you is as real today as it was when He whispered it to you as a teenager. Why the delay when a God-given dream is waiting? Dr. Miles Monroe said this, the poorest person in the world is a person without a dream. The most frustrated person in the world is a person with a dream that never became a reality. You know, I honestly believe that the dream killer has a name. I believe that the dream killer is the same for all of us. The dream assassin's name is fear. Interesting, isn't it? 
every God-given dream in history from Genesis to Revelation comes with these instructions. Be not afraid. Genesis 15 and 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Exodus 14, 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm. You'll see the deliverance of the Lord. He'll bring it to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. Joshua 10 and 8. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Isaiah 41 and 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jeremiah 1 and 8. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Every one of these men of God that was going to be so key in the history of God's kingdom and God's purposes always had as basic instructions, make sure that you're not afraid. The reason the command, do not be afraid, accompanies every God-given dream is because fear is the number one threat to a God-given dream. So, tonight I guess the question that I have come to ask and hopefully to find some clarity concerning is this one. How do we destroy the dream killer? How do we destroy the dream killer? Number one, we destroy the dream killer by falling in love with the dream giver. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You know, I, I love the story of how David's men loved him. I, I mean, there, there's just nothing quite like the synergy between those mighty men and their leader, King David. How they loved King David. He was the warrior that fought with them. They dreamed together. They planned together. They were fugitives together. And then they moved into the palace together. They were unlike any other group in all of human history. David and his mighty men. Many of you remember that story that is told in 1 Samuel 23, 16, 17. Let's just read this and then I'll explain. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, carried it back to David, but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives. David was just talking one day. He, he, he wasn't even meaning to, to put an idea in anybody's head. He just said in front of some of his men as, as they were running from Saul's armies, 
Oh, I would love to have a drink from that well in Bethlehem. But, but Bethlehem was a Philistine stronghold. And there were three guys that kind of winked at each other and said, let's go get the king a drink. And they fought through a battalion to get to that well. They got the water, fought back through the battalion. I could see them as they were running through the forest, laughing hilariously, enjoying the moment. They got the king a drink. And he walked up to him and they say, Here, king, have a drink. He said, What is this? He said, It's what you wanted. It's, it's a drink from the well that you wanted a drink from. And he was so overwhelmed, so absolutely moved emotionally. He said, I can't even drink it. He said, This is like a worship offering to God. I, I, I don't even know what to say. Why would they take that kind of risk? Because they loved him. They loved him so much that there was not anything they wouldn't put on the line. You see, it's not for the love of adventure or even the love for souls that drives the missionary to leave the security and comfort of home and family and lay down their one life for people of a strange custom and language in a strange land. No, it's for the love of God that they go there. They love God and it casts out all fear. They disarm fear with the love of God and embrace God's dream that all shall have the gospel. When I was a young man, I was very shy until I was filled with the Holy Ghost as a high school student. Went to a track meet one day. Met a Baptist kid that had recently become Baptocostal. <laughs> he was so excited about this church that he had gone to last the night before. He said, man, he said, I went to a church. They sang and made the rafters ring. And I, I walked up to the high jump pit listening to his uh, testimony that he was giving to all the guys. And I said, well, hey, I go to a church like that. And then he turned to me and said, do you speak in tongues? Well, I mean, I didn't want to admit that in front of all the guys. I said, well, I, I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I spoke in tongues when I received the baptism. He said, man, I speak in tongues all the time. And then he just jumped up and started pacing back and forth on the high jump pit like we'd all gathered there to hear him preach. That night I said, where are you guys meeting? And he told me that they were meeting in the basement of a little Baptist church across the river. I said, can anybody come? They said, oh yeah, you're welcome. I went thinking I was going to see a few more Assembly of God kids and kids that I'd seen at the local rallies that we had every once in a while, and instead, the only other Assembly of God type guy that was there, or traditional Pentecostal, was the guy I brought with me. They were from every denominational group in town. And they were from schools all over the city. And they began to sing and to worship, and a guy right across from me jumped up and began to dance in the Spirit, and I knew for a fact that he had been the biggest dope pusher at my junior high school two years before that. He'd been baptized in the Holy Ghost. There was a girl that sat right beside me, Catholic girl named Amo. Never forget it. The little lady came over to her and said, Honey, you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, I knew how to get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. 
You had to decide that you're going to stay at the altar and say, Jesus, 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 real fast, until finally you spoke in tongues. But she did not even implement the strategy. She walked right up to Amo and said, oh, honey, you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the little girl said, well, I'm Catholic. She said, oh, the Lord wants to fill Catholics too. Lift your hands. And she lifted her hands. And she said, I'm going to lay my hands on you. And when I lay my hands on you, you're going to pray in tongues. And she put her hands on her. And that Catholic girl began to pray in the Holy Ghost. And I said, look at that. Finally, I got to a moment where I said, God, I don't know what it is they have, but whatever it is they have, that's what I want. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you have it. You just don't know what you have. Now, this is what happened. I received a fresh baptism in the Holy Ghost. And I have to tell you what a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost is all about. It's not about praying in tongues. It's not about operating the gifts of the Spirit. It's not about having just a holy boldness. It is about falling in love with Jesus all over again. And I went from bashful to bold in one night. People often ask me, they say, how is it that you have maintained your enthusiasm and fire all of these years for the things of God for soul winning, for doing the work of the ministry. I said, one night, when I was 17 years old, I got baptized with a new love for Jesus. And I don't share the gospel because it's my profession, because it's never been that. I am not in ministry because it's just become my lifestyle. I'm not here for the excitement. I'm certainly not here for the crowds. And I promise you, I'm not here for the honorariums. The reason that I am standing behind this place today, as I have for 53 years, is because I am still in love with the Lord Jesus. And that love drives out all fear of losing my dream. You see, the fact is, if you want to kill the dream assassin in your life, if you want to drive out fear, then you must fall in love with the dream giver all over again. Secondly, we defeat the assassin. If fear is in your life of stepping forward, of believing that God could actually use you to do this, that, that impossible thing, that unlikely thing, that thing that you simply don't know if you even have the skill match for it, then you must remember what you have seen and heard. You must remember what you have seen and heard. In Acts 4 and 18... The Bible says, then they called them in again, commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. 
As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. When fear begins to encroach on your dream, you have to remind the devil, the flesh, and the world what you have seen and heard. Here the apostles have performed a notable miracle. They're called before a governing council that has the power to put them to death. But instead of trembling at their threats, they look at these guys and say, we're real sorry. I know you want us to promise you that we'll never talk about him again. But we can't unsee what we've seen. And we can't unhear what we've heard. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, I've seen too much. I've heard too much to turn back now. Is there anybody here with me? I said I've seen too much. And I've heard too much to give up on my dream. Has anybody here seen too much and heard too much to turn back? Have any of you determined that you're going to go all the way to the finish line because you can't unsee what you've seen and you can't unhear what you've heard? I don't enjoy getting into debates with people. I don't like standing on the college campus of America and debating the skeptics and the scholars. But every once in a while, that happens to be my responsibility. My ministry started on a secular college campus. My preaching ministry started in the quadrangle at Louisiana Tech University where I was the quarterback. And I would at high noon step up on a park bench and as thousands began to empty into the quadrangle, I would lift my voice and begin to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I can tell you, when I get in these debates... I keep it short and sweet. I said, I don't care what you want to bring up, what facts you think you need answered, what apologetics you want me to unveil. I've only got one thing to say to you, and that is I can't unsee what I've seen, and I can't unhear what I've heard. Jesus Christ has already been too real to me for me to back off in any way. One of my adorable grandchildren, and we got number 16 on the way, you heard that, was staying the night with us. We are Zaza and Pop. And she was sitting at the counter and she was eating some cheese fries. And her gaze suddenly became fixed. I could tell she wasn't with us. And she was obviously thinking about something and focusing on something that just brought a smile to her face. And I said, baby, what are you thinking about? And she said, Pop, I want to tell you about this ride I went on at Disney World. She was obviously seeing the whole experience again. She was reliving it. She was seeing it with such clarity. And she began to describe every moment of that ride. You know, it's amazing how we never have to be taught to speak of the things we have seen 
and hurt. And some of you have forgotten about what you've seen and what you've heard. The reason that you're struggling right now to hang on, the reason you're looking at the back door when it comes to your dreams is because you've forgotten what you've seen and what you've heard. Jesus taught of the importance of seeing and hearing. In Matthew 13, he said, Blessed are your eyes because they see, your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You see, Jesus being all God and all man knew the way the human model operated. He was the creator in a created body. And new man and woman were initially programmed to feel, respond, and act upon what they saw and what they heard. The truth is, throughout the scripture, every dream in history was initiated by hearing and seeing. Men and women hearing God for themselves. Seeing God work for themselves. This may sound elementary until you understand the all-encompassing power and motivation that comes from seeing the right things and hearing the right things. Your God-given dream will return to you when you go back to remembering what you've seen and what you've heard. You know, I, uh, I love the fact that I've been raised in a home that believed in the supernatural power of God. So around my kitchen table, when I was just a kid, I would sit with missionaries that were coming through and I would listen to the conversations between my parents and those missionaries. Men like Morris Plotz, who was an amazing, legendary, iconic missionary in Africa. And he would sit there, and he would begin to talk about the things that he had seen and the things that he had heard. I never thought that there would come a day when I would be the one sitting at those pastor's tables talking to those pastor's kids about the things I had seen and heard. But I can tell you, generation after generation of dreamers has been perpetuated and protected and empowered by the testimony of what we have seen and what we have heard. And here's the last way that we absolutely destroy the assassin of our dreams. And that is we replace fear with fearless. We replace fear with fearless. Now, I love the word fearless. David, of course, was as close to the pure meaning of fearless as I've ever seen. His resume was filled with fearless acts, killed a Syrian black bear and leopard with his bare hands as a teenager, wasted an eight-foot killing machine named Goliath with a single shot from his slingshot. He even composed songs where he sang about the fearless spirit of God 
that had been put in him. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. You're with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 27, 3, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. The dream in you will never revive survive or thrive if you do not replace fear with fearless. And I love the movie Braveheart. Fearless is Braveheart looking into the eyes of farmers and shepherds armed only with picks and shovels, convincing them that the royals and their trained armies can be defeated. It's his guttural, chilling cry of freedom! As he's tortured to death. Fearless. In your parents and grandparents generation. Was Winston Churchill. Facing the relentless assault. Of Hitler's war machine. And rallying his people. With the immortal declaration. Of we shall defend our island. Whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields. In the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Fearless is Martin Luther King on Bloody Sunday as he faces the gauntlet of club-wielding police and vicious attack dogs and relentlessly leads 600 freedom marchers over Selma's Edmund Pettus Bridge, named for the Grand Wizard of the KKK. Fearless is Nobel Laureate winner Nelson Mandela falsely imprisoned for 27 years as he speaks to his fellow political inmates in the infamous Robbins Island prison and says the task always seems impossible until it's done. Fearless is Jesus in the garden as he said, I am he, and caused the armed arresting party that had come for him to fall on their backs helplessly. Fearless is when he said to Pilate, you would have no power if it had not been given to you of the Father, causing Pilate to try to distance himself from Christ and wash his hands of the matter. It's Jesus' look when he stares death down and refuses to let death choose the moment. And only when he is ready, he cries, it is finished. It is when he gives his final rallying call to his disciples. You, too, shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. Fearless is when you, as a young person, you, as a married couple, you, as someone in your golden years, throw caution to the wind. And you reach deep inside your spirit for a God-given dream. And you declare, let's do this. That kind of fearless spirit is always empowered by God. Remember, but it is always initiated by you. It's empowered by God, but it's initiated by us. Years ago, Downs and I were doing a pro-athletes conference in Phoenix, Arizona. We had just finished the last session, going to grab a taxi and rush across town to visit 
with some pastor friends of ours. So we got into the taxi. And I, I always want to meet everybody I sit down with. I mean, I, I feel this about life. The most important place I'll ever be is where I am right now. The most important person I'll ever be with is who I'm with right now. So I meet a lot of people. I get a lot of folks' names. I hear a lot about people's lives everywhere I go. I not only enjoy the destination, I totally enjoy the journey of life. So we got in this taxi cab, and um, I asked the man, I said, Sir, what is your name? He said, My name is Martin Strail. I said, Martin Strail. Where are you from? He had a heavy accent. And he told me where he was from. I said, well, what do you do? I swim rivers. I said, you, you, you do what? He said, I swim rivers. I said, what do you mean you swim rivers? I swim rivers. I swam the Amazon River. And I thought, we got to get out of this cab. I can't trust this guy to drive me across town. And he very quickly reached into the front passenger side of the vehicle and he handed me a book and a video that had his picture and name on it. And it was entitled, The Man Who Swam the Amazon. I was so stunned, I immediately thumbed through the pages of the book and I learned that when this cab driver was 52 years old, he had swam the entirety of the Amazon from the source to the ocean. 3,000 miles in 66 days. The Amazon was his fourth major river after the Mississippi, the Danube in Europe, and the Yangtze in China. The Amazon River, of course, contains some of the world's most dangerous predators. And for 66 days, a fearless 52-year-old man from Slovenia began swimming every morning at dawn and sometimes swam most of the night in a river filled with piranha, anacondas, crocodiles, and every conceivable virus, bug, and bacteria known to mankind. Not to mention the notorious pirates and drug cartels that control vast sections of the Amazon. Now, as I read the book, in the ensuing week, I became broken, challenged, inspired, convicted, and changed. The doctor told him, your blood pressure is going through the roof. You could die of a heart attack or a stroke. Take the day off. But... He fiercely got in the river the next morning. He spent restless nights, nauseous, in cold sweats, unable to keep water on his stomach, but he got in the river the next morning. He was told that there were pirates on the river, but he got in the river anyway. He contracted a brain virus that drove him to convulsions and hallucinations at night, but doggedly, blindly found his way to the river the very next day. Before I exited the cab, I said, Martin, 
I'm a man of God. Sometimes when I pray, miracles happen. May I pray for you right now? What is your need? And this is what he said. Yes, I'm going to swim the world. I said, the world. He said, yes, the world. I said, the Atlantic. He said, yes, the Atlantic, Pacific, around the world. I must raise $27 million for a big ship and crew and medical staff and film crew for this project. I asked him again, how old are you? He said, I am 56 years old. I prayed for him. He said, you have power. <laughs> but as I got out of the cab, I knew God had set this up. I didn't have any power. Not then. This wasn't set up for Martin. It was set up for me. He had wrecked me in that cab. I said to Deonza, I'm going to find my Amazon. I began to think of the deferred plans I've accumulated. The prophetic words I have yet to appropriate. The deep desires I've suppressed. All of the dreams gathering dust in the storeroom of my heart. The books I started that I never finished. The dreams that I had that I never had the courage to step forward and follow through with. I begin to declare, if a man who is 56 years old an overweight cab driver can raise 27 million to swim the world. I can raise millions to pay off the church of Jesus Christ. I can build a great Christian high school. I can have the best school of autism in our region in Louisiana. And I can win my world to Christ. I said, if he can embrace pain and suffering because of dangers and threats of every description and keep getting in the river. Listen to me, folks. We who are empowered by the Holy Ghost of God can embrace our pain and keep getting in the river. If Martin can fiercely ignore the voice of reason to grasp a human dream, we can fearlessly ignore the voice of deception and discouragement to grasp our God-given dream. I immediately began an extended fast. I began to write, pray, and prepare with a new fire and energy. I immediately began to reprioritize my focus. You see, this is what I believe in the body of Christ. And I have come to give you this word tonight. I believe that it's time to swim the Amazon. We need to dust off our dreams and get back in the river. We need to put aside our pain and get back in the river. We need to laugh at our fear and get back in the river. We need to fast and pray and get in the river. We need to ask God for greater things and get in the river. We need to believe for God's best and get in the river. We need to replace fear with fearless. It's time to swim our Amazon and reclaim our God-given dream. Stand with me, please, all over this place. You know, as I look over this place, I see young people. I see students. I see bright young couples. I see a lot of people that look like you're in my age category. 
see some snow on the roof. How many of you right here are uh, 60 and over? The ladies don't have to admit that God's going to excuse you from lifting your hand. But how many of you are 60 and over? Raise your hand all over this place. I want you to look at that. 60 and over. How many of you like me are 70 and over? Come on. Raise your hand if you're 70 and over. Okay. Three years ago, I, uh, I realized that at our Christian school in Shreveport, where we have won 14 state championships on every division of football playing the public schools of Louisiana, that we had lost 68 upperclassmen, juniors and seniors. And at a small Christian school, that is a really big deal. And I realized that we were uh, going to be playing that year at the next to the top level of competition with 13 and 14-year-old kids, 17 of them. I have been preaching this gospel 53 years I've been coaching for 42 years I've used my coaching as a platform to disciple young men three years ago when I saw that our program was literally going to start all over again and that we faced our first losing season since 1990 A fire began to burn in my belly. And this is what the Lord said to me. I'm going to give you another harvest. So here I am. 70 years old. Taking over a football team. Still preaching. Still doing everything that I've always done. Along with my coaching. But coming out of retirement. And taking over. A football team. The Lord said I'm going to give you. Another harvest. These young men, they're going to be raised up to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I immediately hired an old missionary, 68 years old, Irvin Rutherford. And I said, Irv, you're going to be my spiritual coach. I said, I know I'm a preacher too, but I said, what I need you to do, every morning I need you to teach these kids doctrine. Because the Lord spoke to me and he said, the Christian witness your school has had in the past has been good, but it is no longer enough because now these young people don't know what they believe or why they believe it. So for the last three years, every day, Monday through Friday, I've had a football team of young men sitting up like little Trojans with Bibles with wide margins writing down what the apostle says about doctrine. Oh, we've been through the doctrines of the Bible, the doctrines of repentance, the doctrines of faith toward God, the doctrines of washings. I wish you could have seen our wonderful baptismal. And these young men have come to life from the inside out. 
You see, the epilogue of Martin's book reads like this. Let me just, I'm going to ask the worship team just to come up, please. Listen to this. It's by his son. It's by his son. Listen. It reads, Martin Strell is a little fat. Martin Strell is a little old. Martin sits in his house and stares out the window, dreaming dreams of swimming the great rivers of the world. Many of you sit staring out that same window, dreaming dreams. But years pass and your children have children and you seldom think of the dreams you once had. The difference in Martin, this slightly old man, is that he leaves the window and puts on his wetsuit and gets in the river and fulfills his dream. See, this is what I believe. I believe if you're still on the planet and you're a believer, you're not through dreaming. That's why God so carefully, when he was describing what was going to happen in the very last days of time, said, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. See, the fact is, God brought you here for a wonderful weekend of leisure. Fourth of July is going to be great with your family and friends. Man, you're going to relax. But he also brought you to this campground to stir you up and to let you know it's time for you to get back in the river. It's time for you to reclaim your God-given dream. You, you can't believe how many heartbroken believers I talk to. Those who once had a dream, but it didn't happen. And they couldn't wait on it. And the enemy was sure that he was able to bring all of his disinformation to the point that he was able to get them to back out on believing that it would ever happen at all. So now we worship and we give and we show up but there's no dream. I came here this week. I know it. I know it. To help some of you Get your dream back. And tonight we're going to start. You see, here's the truth. If you want it, you got to go for it. I'm a football coach. So everything in my world is measurable. And especially my philosophy of coaching. Because if you go to me and you say, now... These guys just don't know how to win. I said, don't you ever say that to me again? These guys don't have enough courage. I said, don't, don't talk to me about that. Well, well, well they, they don't hate losing enough. I said, don't ever mention that again to me. Because I don't want 
to hear anything about these kids except what is measurable. And if I can't measure it, then I can't correct it. So you bring me something that's measurable. Talk to me about the wrong step that the offensive lineman is taking. Talk to me about how that wide receiver is rounding his route. Talk to me about the quarterback not throwing on time. Talk to me about how our punt team isn't getting down the field. I said, those things are measurable. I can fix that. Here's what I want to tell you about what is measurable in your life. You are at a point in your life where you know that you are not as active in your pursuit of the things of God as you have been in the past and nobody hates it more than you. You hate it and you want to turn it around and I am here to tell you that you can. It's time for you to come alive. I said it's time for you to come alive. Some of you that are businessmen, you are now givers. I give and I, I try to help everybody else. That's very, very good. But you've got some things that you need to be doing. God's called you. And this is your moment. And so what I'm going to ask you to do right now is this. I want you to do something measurable. If you say, I want my dream back. I want my fire back. I want my focus back. I want you just to get out of there and come right down here. Because we're going to pray together. And we're going to get God to notice us here. We're going to say, God, Almighty God, notice we are at the altar. And we're saying we're available again to believe again, to move again, to work again, to pray again, to go again. God, I lost my grasp, but I'm tired of that. And I'm back here to say, this is my time. Come right now. Come right now. This is measurable. This is measurable. Now, Lord God, see us as we come to the front of this place. See us, Lord God. Here we are, crying out for that dream again. Crying out for that dream again, Lord. In the name of Jesus, just keep, as God deals with you, come. As God deals with you, come. I want you to shut yourselves away with God, and I want you to look inward and say, God, are you dealing with me? Are you saying something to me, God? Is this, is this something that, Lord, I'm supposed to respond to? Do you have something new and important or old and important for me to see and to grasp tonight? Just get out right now. Come to the front of this place. In the name of Jesus.